Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Arroya Office Hours Live. This is a chance for all of you, whether you're Arroya customers, Arroya curious, or just super into growing and existing in, in this exciting industry, to share your stories and get all your burning cultivation questions answered. Each week, we'll spend an hour sharing our findings, walking you through some interesting features, and having a lively conversation about what you're doing, what you want to know, and even help you share your own stories and connect with other people who are passionate about this plant and its potential. My name is Keisha. I'll be your moderator for today's discussion, which is about drying. If you have any questions for us, go ahead and submit them in the chat at any time. We'll do our best to answer them during the broadcast. Um, but our Instagram community has submitted a bunch of questions for this week's topic. So Scott and Jason, let's get started. Thank you, Keisha. It's great to be back after the holiday break. Um, and I hope everyone had a great one. We're... Um, you know, this is uh, the week after uh, the holiday break ended, and uh, we're just getting pounded with snow here in uh, in eastern Washington. So um, it's going to be inside and not cold. Um, and I wanted to start off with talking about drying and set the the, the table for it. Um, a, a few of my thoughts about about drying the plant. First and foremost, one thing I'll say is that um, we're constantly frustrated in working um, uh, with uh, uh, producers who do an amazing job on the cultivation side, but then miss turning that into um, the best saleable product that they can on the, um, on the drying uh, side. So um, one phrase I've always liked from, I, I'm a terrible golfer, but uh, one phrase I've always liked from golf is uh, drive for show, putt for dough. And then, you know, so driving is kind of like the cultivation and we focus on that so much. It's just like just nailing it on uh, crop steering and the environmentals and VPDs and, and IPM and all that stuff. Um, and then uh, uh, it, the putting is like the drying. It's like you got to, you still got to get the ball in the cup or else, you know, or, or um, you're going to lose. And and so I see it as kind of like the putting. It's the, the type of thing that some people don't focus on um, because they see it as being maybe that's somebody else's job or um, that it's because it's not plant growing, because it's not cultivation, that it's not valuable, but it is really valuable. And um, just a, a basic um, metric would be uh, if you don't do drying correctly and if you don't dry consistently, you're going to miss uh, one to three percent of your uh, finished dry weight of product. And you don't get paid based on how much your plants weigh when they get cut down. You get paid based on how much they weigh when you actually put them in a, a package and sell them to somebody. So um, and just a word on our history as a company, the two biggest areas that we see for improvement in the cannabis industry are number one, cultivating properly and getting the most uh, grams per square foot per year uh, out of the cultivation side, and then taking that and drying that properly um, so, that, so that you actually get paid for that and you don't harm the product. So the interesting thing about that to me is that, uh, and, and where Meter Group, which is the, the parent company of Arroyo, where we've been as a company is that is that we see crop steering is critical to getting the most out of the cultivation side. 
And we see something called water activity as being key to um, getting everything that you can out of the drying side. And we make the Terrace 12 sensor for crop steering, and we make uh, what's called the Aqualab, which is a water activity meter. And we were making both of those devices before we ever uh, made Arroya and got into the cannabis industry, which I think is just a, a crazy coincidence. Um, so, um, you know, Jason, you've been on the, the cultivator side before um, and have um, have a lot of experience with both the cultivation and the drying side. What are some, um, uh, what, what was your experience with drying? Is it, does that ring true to you at all? The idea that like, you know, cultivate, grow plants, like get super geeky in environmental biophysics and all this stuff, and then just, ah, just dry it and get it out the door. Like, does that, does that resonate with, with your experience at all or, or not? Yeah, a little bit. And I think, um, some of it might just be oversimplified, right? Mm -hmm. So, when we think about drying a cannabis product, we have a couple parameters, temperature, humidity, and time. Mm -hmm. Those are really what we're looking at when we were drying a product. And so I, I think some of it gets oversimplified and overlooked because uh, there's not necessarily the complexities of, uh, of, of the cultivation cycle, which is really too bad because when, you know, we take a look at the total amount of drying time versus the total amount of time to uh, cultivate the product. You're looking at you know probably 10% or less of the time uh, going into it, and obviously quite a bit less uh, energy. So you're, you're exactly right. You know, we do a ton of energy cultivating the absolute best plants you can. And so with, with just a little bit more uh, standardization through that drying process, it protects all of that, um, all those resources, all that input energy to get to that point. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think also, you know, one of the things when we talk about drying it, drying the product consistently is there's a couple of sources of harm that uh, that come into play when drying the process, uh, the product. One is that if it's not dried enough, um, you could get mold growth. Um, so that would cause your, uh, you know, it could fail lab um, testing. It could be unsaleable or, you know, or you'd have to blow it out, like send it to extract if you have that mold growth. Um, but the other thing is that overdried products, it actually hurts the terpene profile of the of the product. And anybody would know this who has has been into, say, a um, like Oregon cannabis retail where they have bud tenders and they have buds in in jars there. The product that's been there for a long time when the, the jar has been opened and closed and opened and closed, it doesn't smell like anything anymore. It's just completely lost um, its its nose. And um, so, you know. Drying consistently will get you higher um, uh, dry weight yields for your product, but it also protects terpenes, and it it uh, it also uh, protects the product from mold growth. Um, so uh, another thing I want to say about this is um, we don't want to be uh, super prescriptive in this process. We don't want to come in. Um, hard and say everybody has to do things a certain way. There is a water activity number, which is um, uh, which is 0.7. Okay, and some people who are listening might say, "Well, what does that number? What does that number mean?" Uh, 0.7 just means that, um, and this will get a little technical on water activity, but it just means that the if you take a a cannabis bud and you put it into a water activity meter and it measures 0.7, what that means is it has 30% less energy in that water than if you had uh, just a cup of, of distilled water sitting there. 
So the energy of the water in the cup of distilled water, that's 100%. So that would be a water activity of one. And if you dry that cannabis plant, it takes that energy level down to, to um, 30% less than that, which is a 0.7. Okay, so, um, so some people ask us, what are the units on water activity? Um, you know, so like, uh, you know, it would be, you know, we have units um, uh, of, for uh, concentration of fertilizer units for, for light intensity and stuff like that. But water activity is unitless because it's a ratio of the energy of that water in the cannabis divided by the energy of the water in that uh, cup of distilled water. And so it's uh, a vapor pressure divided by a vapor pressure. So it's just a ratio. It's unitless. So when we say 0.7, that means it has energy of, um, it has 30% less energy than that cup of distilled water. So it, that's a little bit technical. The, the, what that actually means is that if you get that uh, water activity through drying, if you get that down to 0.7, there's almost nothing that can grow on it at that point. And so some people ask us, like, after we get the plants in, what, what should we be doing? Um, you know, how, how should we think about, about drying the plants in the drying room? And the, the answer is that you need to remove as much moisture as you can as quickly as you can to protect them without over drying them. Um, and so getting all the way back to like being prescriptive, we can tell you for sure, if you dry your, your cannabis plants down below 0.6 water activity, nothing can ever grow in them anywhere. It's, it's, uh, it's just science. Uh, you cannot have mold growth or any type of microbial growth below 0.6. Um, and, uh, but, but we're not saying 0.6 is the right water activity. We're just saying, um, you know how you like to dry products, but you need a way to measure that. You need a way to say, um, to say how dry is dry enough. If you find out through science and through your own like testing and what the product looked like, what it feels like, um, um, how it's used, if you feel like 0.55 is the best water activity, great. If you feel like 0.5 is the best water activity, great. You know that um, we're not telling you what the right number is, but we are telling you how to find that number out. Um, so, Jason, when you were doing uh, the drying of the product before, I don't think you guys had a water activity meter, did you? We did not. Okay. So, how did you? How did you find out if the product was dry enough? The, the old uh, bend and snap test. Okay. So the snap test. Tell me about the snap test. All the snap test is, is uh, you know, and you think you're getting close. And we were running about a 10 or 12 day um, dry cycle. So, you know, going in at day eight, nine, 10, uh, go in there, take some product, give it a snap. And uh, if it does snap, then you... Uh, you're ready. You're ready and good. And so you nice. go through and sample a, a couple of different uh, cultivars. And uh, sometimes, if we were doing a great job on, on understanding which cultivars dried faster, uh, maybe they had smaller buds in, in size. Uh, take those down first, and then that other okay. product can get closer to its ideal snap. Uh, obviously, the real trouble with it is what snap means to me might not mean what snap means to you. Yeah, and uh, it's something that is very touchy feely. Uh, it's a judgmental based decision. Yep. And so if we have some turnover of staff, it's difficult to maintain that same quality. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to quantitize what, what that level is without using a measurement. Yep. And that's where, you know, standardization comes into play. And I think there's, you know, some other things I did want to talk about with uh, operationally, how does this play into your growth cycles? Yep. So when we think about tracking data all the way throughout, uh, 
we could grow an extremely great product. And if we didn't necessarily have controls in that drying cycle, we may not be able to actually get the true representation of how well it was grown. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of comes down to our harvest groups, how you compare um, cycle to cycle. And that drying part is a critical piece because maybe we grew a lot more wet weight when we crop steered a specific way, but it was lost due to lack of standardization in that drying process. Now yep. you're on a different one-to-one basis to evaluate, and it may not be going the right direction for continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another uh, operational impact is uh, obviously the stuff needs to go out for uh, testing. Mm-hmm. So having that internal control on what the number should be kind of keeps you in check of not sending out failed lab certs. So yep. you can internally get an idea of, uh, are we going to you know, have to recall that product because it's failing a lab cert or it won't be able to hit market right now because uh, you know we're, we're a little bit too wet. And then it's obviously staying in that tight range where you said where we don't want to lose money. Um, and then also keeping into consideration how you're taking those measurements as far as throughout the processing cycle as well. Yeah. So yeah. you know if we look at that the dry product, it has a specific uh, water activity and uh, it may continue to lose water activity uh, in a dry room or in a processing room that's 40% humidity, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, and you mentioned a lot of really critical things there that, that I want to touch on. Um, the first one is like the snap test. To me, it's actually, I think it's a great way to start. It's like you're doing something. You're trying to figure out when is dry enough. It's qualitative. You're not going to get consistent results, but you're doing something to determine when your drying should be done. It is the right thing to do if you have nothing. One thing I'll say that is a complete waste of money, and I've heard this used in lots of places, is to go and get uh, a wood moisture meter from Home Depot, which has the two prongs on it, and like try and, in a janky sort of way, stick it into a bud. Sorry, that's a complete waste of time. That will get you nowhere. I, you know, and just mentoring moisture, a lot of people do think of um, moisture content, and they, and they say, well, what is water activity versus moisture content, they are related, okay? So if your moisture content goes down in your cannabis, your water activity is gonna go down too. And if it goes up, it's gonna go up. But they're different because moisture content measures how much water there is. Water activity measures the energy of that water. So um, one of them is a quantitative measurement and the other one is a, uh, a, is a, a ratio uh, that, that leads us to an, an energy number. So they are different. Um, Typically, cannabis is between 10 and 14% moisture when it's dried. Okay, so if you're looking at a dried product you're buying in a, in a store, it'll typically be, be between 10 and 14% moisture. But the moisture level is, you know, if you have all of your cannabis at the exact same water activity, the moisture level is going to be a little bit different for each of those, of those buds. So, so that's an important thing to say. Yes, moisture content is important. By controlling water activity, you do control moisture content, but they they are fundamentally different measurements. And the other problem with moisture, and the reason why we don't recommend it, besides the fact that we make water activity meters and we would love to have people use them, the reason we don't recommend moisture is that in a dried product like cannabis, you get a tiny change in moisture content, you get a huge change in water activity. So water activity not only is it much more scientifically relevant, it's also way more precise, about 10 times more precise than you can get with a, a loss on drying moisture analyzer. So that, that, was, that was something that, um, that you mentioned. Um, another thing you uh, said that, that I think is really important is this idea 
that um, the product is not totally homogeneous. Every bud, every plant is going to be different. If you got super big, dense buds, those are going to dry slower than like a, a, a small kind of, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, Shwefi product that, that uh, you know, that's going to dry pretty quickly. So, um, uh, and in the drying room, you might have places that are um, where the air circulation isn't quite as good. Um, and it, all those things are going to dry at, at different rates. So um, one best practice that we always tell people, if you have a water activity meter, is to take a sample and try and at least cut that bud in half and have part of the inside of the bud and the outside of the bud together in the sample cup when you put it into the machine to test um, so that you can uh, uh, account for the fact that, that the inside is going to dry slower than the outside. The water has to come out, and it, 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 takes, it takes a while for it to migrate to the outside of the bud. And it sounds like you guys saw that in your, in your drying, that the, that the big, dense buds sometimes weren't ready to go when the, the, um, the smaller ones had already dried. Is that true? Yes. Yep, absolutely. And, it, you know, it kind of comes into a challenge as well when you become very successful in cultivating. Typically, you are getting those yield increases by growing large colas. And so some of that needs to have uh, a representation, a represented change in your drying process. So as we coach people to crop, to crop steer better, uh, a lot of times they'll need to also change their drying procedures and or in place uh, ability to compare those drying uh, procedures so that they can keep up with the increase in yield. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That's, that's really true. Um, one of the questions that we got from uh, the Instagram community was, what are the benchmarks for moisture in the room versus moisture in the buds? And can Arroyo tell the difference? That's a, a little, a little bit of a, uh, it, it's a little bit of a hard question to, to answer because, um, just the science of how the, the bud dries is that if you, let's say that you're running your drying rooms at 60% relative humidity, and the buds, when you take them in there, are essentially at a water activity of 0.99. It's a, it's a green plant. It it's, um, has extremely high uh, water activity at that point. Every gradient between the plant and the room, if the room is at a lower humidity than, the, uh, than that plant material, water is going to flow out of the plant and it's going to dry. So that will always be true. Um, when do they actually, when does the plant stop drying? It stops drying when the water activity of the, of the plant is equal to the relative humidity of the room. So once your water activity hits 0.6, um, and if your relative humidity in your drying room is 60%, they will stop, it, it, it will stop exchanging moisture. Um, so that's, that's something really important uh, to know is, is that's, that's how moisture in the room relates to moisture in the bud. And that's why, like, you say, well, what is, uh, let's say my moisture content is 13% in my bud because I have some loss on drying method for testing it. Will it continue to lose water in the room? Well, we don't know um, because we don't know if there's a difference in, uh, water activity and relative humidity, it, they will, the moisture content will change, um, but moisture doesn't tell us that. So it's, that's, that's important to, uh, to know. Um, yeah, we, we did talk about this question already, how much moisture content is considered perfect. Um, did, did, uh, it, was that, 
did you ever get a lab moisture uh, from from your products? Did you send them out to a lab? Um, we did. Yep. Uh, yeah. But not a water activity, right? We didn't get water activity at the time. Okay. Um, and uh, how did you decide how you set up the room? In other words, I've seen lots of different approaches for drying rooms. Um, and by the way, we do have um, Susan on the call today who has seen a lot of drying setups at cannabis uh, companies and is part of our, our team here. Um, so Susan, feel free to, to chime in. But, but how do you, um, how, what's a typical drying room setup? And um, you know, how, how, did, how did you guys do it? How did you make sure you have enough um, uh, room between the plants that they dried uh, quickly enough, but not so much that you had to take extra space for drying that you didn't have? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we didn't necessarily have the most technological setup. Uh, you know, it was in a, a sheetrocked room, um, which obviously any places that have good investment in, you know, freezer type dry rooms sure. um, where they are well sealed, uh, metal walls or um, fiberglass paneling on the walls, all that type of thing is going to really help because you don't have other variables into play and you can focus on the product. You know, as far as the, the spacing goes, uh, I think we were a little bit tight in there, and we didn't necessarily run as much ventilation as we probably would like would like to have, mm -hmm. um, and that could also contribute to a little bit longer drying cycle. Uh, most of the time, it's on racks, right? So we've seen people use trellis, mm -hmm. um, just hanging up trellis sure. and, and get the little cut-off stems hanging in there. Um, yep. We've seen some people do whole plant, which is uh, can be a little bit more of a challenge simply because you're your biomass is closer together. Uh, realistically, you, you need enough space between the size of those nugs to get proper airflow, to make sure that you're not building a localized, humid environment around the nugs. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how you're going to use your, your room relative humidity as a, as a benchmark for how long it needs to be dried. Obviously, if, if our room is at, say, 60% humidity, but we've got our, our nugs in such tight relationship that the water... Uh, coming out of the nug is actually building a, a localized uh, environment. Uh, mm -hmm. Then you're not necessarily taking good data on how that, that change can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said also about the different approaches people take. I, the most common um, approach that I've taken is, or, or that I see taken at customer sites is drying the whole plant, even though it does take, take up more space. They cut it down, they dry the whole thing. Um, then I see people dry parts of plants, so they, they cut off anything that has um, has buds on it, and then they hang each of those individual portions, and they throw away the main stem. Okay, I've seen that as well. And I see people buck the whole plant fresh, put them on perforated trays, like cookie trays, and then wheel those trays into to drying locations. That last one, um, the only major downside, besides besides the idea that it's just not the right move, I mean, some people have these ideas about there's still, you know, sugars that have to migrate out of the bud and into the stem and, and things like that. I've heard lots of kind of interesting theories on that. Um, but that last one, really, uh, the downside that I've heard is that if you lay them out on trays, it could um, uh, make a flat spot on the bud, um, and then that just looks bad. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I've absolutely heard that uh, multiple times. You know, obviously, the the less touching of that bud, the more pristine and, and easier it is to maintain that that A plus quality. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I from a an efficiency perspective, um, it is a little bit 
easier to roll around these, you know, cookie carts, uh, you know, the, with trays on them than it is to deal with the, the whole plant, which, as you said, can be a bit unwieldy. So we see lots of different approaches um, there. Uh, I, I would say the consistent rule that, uh, that, that I um, endorse on this is just to not pack the, the plants so tightly that you are interfer interfering with, uh, with airflow. If you've stopped in a location in the room, if you've, you know, you're preventing air from flowing, um, that, that you've packed it too tightly at that point. Um, I don't know, Susan, um, do you have, do you have opinions on this and what have your, um, experiences been at customer sites? Hey guys, well, I'm just sitting here smiling because this is making my heart really happy right now. Um, what I love to do is like what you guys have been talking about is, you know, science um, and looking at other industries too. So if we look at, you know, Meter has been working in the food industry for so long, we have a lot of best practices from jerky and salami. And one thing that they always do is they profile a room. So they look at directional wind speeds throughout the room. And that's something I love to do with our cannabis clients as well. We've got ways to measure that. Atmos 22 is a great tool for that. But looking at what does a loaded room look like? What is that airflow within the, you know, not really canopy, but within the, those hanging plants? And, and is there enough airflow? Just like Jason said, are you creating a microclimate in a back corner? Do you need to baffle to get better airflow? So taking some of those lessons from food is a great way to really make sure you're nailing it. Oh, yeah, actually, and that, that's a great point. And you reminded me, Susan, of something that we've done for clients in other industries who wheel trays into places, for example, is that we've actually done tests. We've taken samples from different locations after the drying process. And then, you know, we tag each one so we know what the spatial, you know, the 3D placement of that sample was in the room. And after, dry, you know, for a cannabis uh, operation, that might be, yeah, 10 days or 12 days. And if... And if we tag all those samples appropriately, we can say, well, the ones in this corner don't really seem to be drying as fast. Is that approach you sometimes use, Susan? Absolutely. Yep. So that's what, that's what my team has been working on with, with our clients is doing exactly that. And the cool thing about it is, you know, the testing that we do is not destructive. So if you're following GMPs, those bugs can go right back into a, a room. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the, that's... It, some people might be aware that loss on drying moisture analyzers, they actually cook the sample at a high temperature and then, and then look for a weight change, and that, that burns it up, um, whereas uh, a, a water activity meter doesn't do that. That's a great point. Um, do you, um, and I'm wondering, Jason or Susan, um, what, uh, what, what do clients do in terms of um, selecting temperatures and humidities for different phases of drying. Are they typically drying at one temp and humidity for the entire time uh, with cannabis, or do they do they change it based on um, trying to get a bunch of moisture out in the beginning and then reaching equilibrium at the end? Um, you know, that's a great question. So sometimes we'll see first in, first out dry rooms actually where it's a, a continuous and they oh, yeah. they've got mm -hmm. racks where they're pushing um product through the room and they're just emptying it out at the the end of the room so you know that cycle of plants from back to front takes maybe you know seven days ten days twelve days whatever the, the dry cycle is prescripted to 
And obviously in those types of rooms, they're going to keep it at a consistent relative humidity and temperature simply because they don't necessarily have that ability. They're, they've got plants that are fresh cut and plants that are ready to come out of that room at the same time. Um, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It is great to monitor those relative humidities and temperatures as well, because obviously when we put a, a freshly cut product in there, that relative humidity is typically going to go quite a bit up. Mm-hmm. And so keeping an eye on those swings can really help set HVAC settings to account for how much product's coming in. Um, same kind of thing with a, uh, a dedicated room where it's got one batch going in that's going to come out in 10 days. You'll see that humidity usually go way up right mm-hmm. in the beginning. So sometimes they'll combat that with some increased HVAC parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Susan, you want to jump in about how they change humidity over time in those drying cycles. Yeah, uh, well, I've seen it all. Uh, and I, I don't know that there's a, a right or wrong answer uh, looking at all the different types of, of containers or spaces that people are drying in. I think the biggest one is is to understand that when you're you're loading that amount of biomass into a dry room, you know it's coming in at 0.98 water activity, 0.99 water activity. You have an HVAC set at 60% humidity. What's really going on? That HVAC really can't maintain that that well without some sort of a, a high turnover or a desiccant. So you've got that factor going in the beginning. So those first three days would be wanted to dry down. So I don't know that the settings for humidity are are as critical in the beginning part because we have so much biomass in that room. But then towards the end is really where I see for humidity where we want to hit for sure that 60% because that's so closely related to that target we want for canvas. Yep. yep. And then temperature-wise, I've seen people going from 55 to 80 uh, you know, and then I go back to my you know, biochemistry and you start looking at log reductions of pathogens at different temperatures too. So I do like it a little bit cooler in there. I don't know that we need to hit 55, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be, to be studied in this area though. Yeah, I do see people drying a little cooler uh, typically, uh, 55, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so that that's pretty common um, in my experience, but I would... Uh, drying at 80 Fahrenheit, um, yeah, to me sounds a little bit, a little bit too high. Um, but uh, but yes, I uh, a lot of people I've seen dry cool. Um, I I do want to mention um, before I forget that um, when we're talking about drying, and there there actually is a question in here about um, about curing the product as well which we consider an extent, you know, an extension of the drying process. Um, even if you are drying to that 0.6 water activity, let's say you decide that's, that's the right number. And uh, we're just going to stop drying once we've measured the, the uh, material and it's at a 0.6. Um, you have to remember that you are going to be doing some curing after that, which you can still get some moisture loss there. And you're also going to be doing some, um, you know, product touching activities, namely uh, trimming um, as well. And some people do a great job of their drying and then they forget that they're going to lose some moisture in the trim process if the humidity in those trim rooms are uh, are too low. So if you take out the product, at, and especially a dry product, and your humidity is 20, 25% in the trim room, you're going to lose uh, hundreds of dollars just while that product is sim- uh, sitting there. Have you ever seen that 
that happen at a at a customer site, Susan? Yeah, I actually measured that. I had a client in Arizona that they had, I mean, obviously super low humidity, around twenty percent uh, humidity, and the rate of moisture loss in that study that we did was one percent moisture loss in one hour. So it's very significant. I mean, if you look at the average company, a one percent moisture moisture loss even for a, a midsize is is a two million dollar problem. Yeah. I mean, and it's incredible to think that it, you know, if they were losing 1% of revenue in some other area, like let's say, I don't know, their lighting bill or, you know, or, or, um, or, uh, their internet service provider or something, they would, they'd be like, oh, this is, you know, this is bleeding us dry. Um, but 1%, I mean, thinking about, uh, let's say that you have, let me try and do some math here really quick. Let's say you have, uh, 20 pounds of product sitting out, and that uh, product is worth, uh, so 20 pounds of product might be worth, um, what, $30,000, is that right? Sure, 30 to 40. Yeah, so 40, 30 to $40,000, and you got a 1% reduction in that, um, then that's that's just, uh, uh, you know, $500,000 that's, uh, that's just evaporated you know, well, in the, in the trim room. So, um, and some people have asked us about that and we're, we say, well, you know, one way would be to reduce that time that it's exposed as much as possible, but you can't really do that. You do have to get the product out and trim it. The other is just to, to introduce some basic humidity control in the trim room as well. You should treat it as an extension of the dry room. Um, Jason, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I was working with a client, um, maybe three weeks ago and, uh, same kind of discussion where they actually had some uh, some climate stations in their processing room and decided to add humidifiers to the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of the, the people on the team were just really excited. They you know make it a little bit more comfortable environment for the people working in there as well. So yeah, yeah, they don't don't have to use so much moisturizer, you know. So um, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, yeah, I think that that is a pro tip that I see everywhere. Is like, hey. Think think about that that trim room and what's going on in there um, as as a a potential loss of uh, of revenue. Um, let's see, what should the humidity percentage be relative to the number of days you dry the plants? I mean, this is actually uh, Susan mentioned this, and the the number really sh- should be you know you could do a sixty percent, sixty five percent humidity, whatever you're 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 uh, you're wanting to do there, but. The one thing that I have seen as unsuccessful is trying to really speed up the drying process because it has a negative impact on quality. Have you have you ever heard of somebody trying to um, speed up that drying process, Jason? And uh, I don't know what were their what were their results. Absolutely, and on the the side where someone would be trying much much too quickly, uh, they can actually build a moisture barrier in the larger buds. Yeah, and actually, yeah. So if the outside of that bud dries way too quickly, it can actually trap moisture on the inside, which I mean, talks to that gradient that we were mentioning earlier. It's the fact that we need that process to be homogeneous throughout the, the nug, the, the product. Um, yep. And that's going to obviously de- be, depend on the size of the colas. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so if, if you know we're going into a room, let's say 20% humidity, there's a good chance that you're going to run into some very inconsistent issues. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that plays into parts where you could fill lab search later. Um, just the consistency and quality of your product is 
um, is lacking. So that would be definitely on the, the extreme side of trying to dry too quickly. Yep, yep. And uh, Susan, I just remembered this word um, from, you were mentioning the jerky or salami word. I think at World uh, before, and I think it's called case hardening. Is that right, what Jason's talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not to mention just, you know, if you, you can dry weed in an hour if you want. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have the worst taste and the, the harshest smoke that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So it's really an art. The, the drying part is really an art. And, and I'm passionate about it. I hope other people are too. That's really your quality. You know, what do you want your brand promise to be? Are you looking for a top shelf product or are you, are you going really for a quantity? You know, we've, mm -hmm. we've got cases for both. You've got a lower value product that you need to push through at a higher quantity. And maybe you do need to trim your, your dry down to, you know, six to nine days. But if you really want a beautiful product, I love that 10 to 12 days in that dry. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some everybody has a different approach and everybody has, um, uh, you mentioned that brand promise. Um, you know, what, what are you trying to achieve and, and um, how can we use um, science to help you get there. That that's really what we're what we're focused on. Um, let's see. Let's talk about curing a little bit. When we talk about curing, it's it's so interesting because there's everybody has a different uh, idea about this. Um, the the idea that the product gets um, you know trimmed and it's in final form, but it's but you put it in. A lot of people use these turkey bags. Some people have specifically. Uh, uh, containers specifically made for this, but um, uh, you know, we got a question: What are the burp times after cutting buds into bins, and how many times a day should it be done? I mean, I I see most people doing once or twice a day that they burp uh, these these packages, but I don't know that there's any. I don't know that there's uh, has been a lot of science or a lot of research done into this curing. Um, phase of the product. Do you guys want to, uh, Jason, maybe you want to talk about curing a little bit? Sure. So I, I work with a, a combination of clients, some that are curing for a desired effect that, like you said, I don't know that there's a lot of science developed yet behind the chemical alterations in the product during that phase. And then some people also just call cure the stage of uh, where the product is dried, but needs to be stored uh, until it's ready for processing. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there are two distinct uh, determinations of, of what the purpose is of the cure phase in that. Um, one, obviously, for the uh, supposed um, effects to the product, and then the other just being uh, an increment state when it when it's ready for them to process or until they have the capacity to do so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as far as burping goes, the, the point of that is inside of the cure tube or the, the tote that the product is in, it's the humidity of that's typically going to be trying to match that of the water activity of the product inside of it. And so, so burping that would be introducing typically a less humid air, um, which you know, needs to, to have some caution because that will alter the water activity of, of the product during that stage. Yep, yep. No, exactly. Um, Susan, what, what do your customers think they're doing when they burp? When they, and I, I'm talking about burping cannabis uh totes or, or or tubes here yeah not babies okay yeah not babies or or themselves or you know, yeah things like that. I, the the biggest thing that i get is because people think that they are uh, conditioning for co2 mm -hmm. when they burp uh, you know if 
I don't know if that's right. I think there's a lot of research to be done here. I'm actually working on a project right now where maybe I shouldn't talk about here, but I'm interested in looking at what happens to vapor pressure inside of some of these different totes. Mm -hmm. So that's something that, that I'm doing right now uh, with a couple of our clients too. So just kind of retrofitting some, you know, Home Depot totes and turkey bags to, to get those sensors in there. But I'm hoping that we can have some real answers on the, the cure process and why we do that and why it's important and when to burp. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe there's a way to know that. Well, and I, I do, I, I want to point out that we are doing that, that research so that we can, uh, you know, research projects like this so that we can have a better idea of, uh, of what people are actually doing it at each step in the process. And we would, you know, I think, um, most people's processes are an outgrowth of things that they've done for a long time and things that work. So we, we don't recommend that people, um, that they abandon approaches that are working for them, but, but we encourage them to think about what they're doing in each part of the process and whether it can be measured and, and standardized better. Um, the burping thing, uh, you know, one, one important, um, you know, one important aspect of that is that if you're dealing with, if you have a dried trim product that you have in a completely sealed container, meaning that, that there's um, uh, water vapor cannot get in and out, whatever that water activity is when you put that product in, it's still going to be at that water activity when you get out. So, so really... In the curing phase, the most critical part of that is to completely eliminate any moisture migration. Um, so, and some people don't have good uh, vapor seals on their um, curing uh, systems, and it, that that's another uh, important thing to say. Um, I am wondering what questions we haven't got to, Keisha. Let's see here. Um... Someone was asking uh, to explain the ideal storage while drying, and I know we touched on that a little bit with curing. Um, yeah, I think I think we've 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 done that, that one. Um, someone asked here, "How should I remove hot spots in the room without directly fanning the buds?" Sure. So I don't know specifically if this is about in the the dry room or in the cultivation room. Um, either or, some of the best ways to do this are floor fans and or diffusing socks. So diffusing socks are a very inexpensive and excellent way to reduce the airspeed uh, of that airflow, but also make sure it is consistent over a, a large, uh, large area or large volume. So those would be my two biggest recommendations. Uh, if you're not using air socks, check them out. Yep. Um, air socks. Just a reminder for our folks who've joined us today, if you have any questions, please do add them to the chat. We would love to get to them today. I have another one here from our Instagram community. Why do some buds seem to get less tight during drying? I mean, I, I'm going to guess here and say that it's a, a strain specific, but, um, uh, you know, I think each uh, cultivar is going to have a different morphology and and uh and uh shape to it and i i think that you know mechanically as the product shrinks because it will shrink in that process that if uh that if the genetics are different it could it could affect um how dense that gets during the drying process is that anything you've ever seen uh jason not not necessarily specifically um <laughs> okay it's a little bit of a new one to me but uh i, I would agree that it probably has to be something about the genetics and the, the way that um, 
the composition, maybe the physical or com uh, chemical composition uh, within that specific product. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, and so the last thing, and Keisha, why don't we do this as maybe the last question is this, um, the algorithm for the dehumidifier turning off. We, we don't um, integrate an algorithm for that specifically, but one thing Susan's team is working on, well, I'll, I'll make a couple of, of announcements here that, that we, that one thing about, that we already have and one thing that we're integrating into Arroyo right now is, um, is the ability to take that data from the dry room and tell you when the product is going to be finished drying, when it's going to hit that number that you want it to hit. And I think that's a really exciting development because that dry room is essentially, it's like a hotel room. And if you're not, if you don't have, um, uh, if you haven't mapped out everything perfectly, um, you might have plants that are staying in that hotel room that call up and say, hey, I want a late checkout. And you have new plants that need to go in there and they're not. And, and you don't have any space for them. So it's critical to use that space as, as well as you possibly can. And having that forward visibility saying, this is when these plants are gonna be done can be really helpful from an operational perspective. Um, Susan, any comments on that? Uh, no, I think, I think you're nailing it. Just making sure that you're optimizing. And there's a lot of, of things that you can do too by cultivar. So I love that we're talking about that. There's definitely changes in that and, and understanding what that looks like. So we know which of those cultivars need to check out early and which actually do need a late checkout. Yeah, actually, and that, that is a great point is, is hey, you know, in a lot of places for simplicity's sake, you just get, we are drying for 10 days. It doesn't matter what it is, but but if you're not hitting that water activity yet, that's that's the wrong approach to take. You're going to have mold problems. So um, so it's really good to do that. The other piece of that is that um, we have worked really hard to integrate this Aqualab world and the Arroyo world, and um, we'll be shortly launching the capability for each of your uh, post-harvest packages to have that water activity number on it. So every time you test it, it's getting updated in the system, and you can drive accountability around that um, with your whole team and say, hey, um, you know, we overdrive this batch and it, it cost us. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, so putting those two worlds together is, is something that we will be launching shortly. Um, and so you can look for that as well. And I think that's about it, Keisha. Awesome. Everybody, you heard it here first. That's great. Scott and Jason, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who joined us for this week's Office Hours. It's our first one of the year. Um, we do these every week. This is your time. If you have any questions about Arroyo, how it can be used to improve your cultivation production process, or any other topics you'd like covered in a future Office Hours session, we definitely would love to hear from you. So feel free to let us know in the chat. Shoot us an email at support.arroyo at metergroup.com or send us an Instagram DM. Um, we record every session. We're going to email everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It will also live on the Arroyo YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe while you're there. And if these conversations are helpful, please feel free to forward. Thank you again, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroyo. The ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroyo.io.